All right, so I'm not a sports guy. I'm not a, a real big football guy, so don't expect me to continue on with illustrations about those kinds of things. My, the title I left on my outline was, What Does a Good Team Look Like? Uh, maybe you've been thinking about that because there have been some unique teams put together in the Olympics from countries that you wouldn't expect to be put together. And then you have to say, well, that's what it looks like on the outside. Uh, what does it look like on the inside? How does that really work? Um, to me, watching football growing up was something I did with my dad on Sundays. I had the opportunity to take him to one professional game before he passed away. That was a blessing to have that opportunity. But to us, a good game was, you know, both teams were working together real well. And it was probably even a high-scoring game. A lot of things going on back and forth. And to me, that was a good game. Um, so we're going to continue on. I have an illustration to start with that's not sports-related in just a minute. Um, but we're going to look at Ephesians 4 again. So if you want to be open there, uh, we're going to continue on with those those thoughts in Ephesians. Uh, if you haven't been here the past couple weeks, Ken has been looking at Ephesians, and I'm going to continue on kind of where we left off. And he will be speaking again next week uh, in Ephesians. And then we hit the two weeks that are missions emphasis. So that's coming up around the corner because it is almost March. Um, so State of the Union was one title, and Get in the Game was the other title of the past two messages the past couple weeks. And the main questions we had, um, how do we do it? You know, what should the church be doing, how do we do it, and why do we do it? So again, unity. Unity and the service, serving one another, serving our community. The example of the togetherness we have is a testimony of God. His, his togetherness, his fellowship, his desire to have fellowship with us. The testimony that is in the world around us. Okay, so there's a lot of things we do. You know, we have servants' hearts, we make meals for each other, we serve, we help each other move. Um, we even reach out in our community. We have uh, things going on at church here where we invite community in. All of those kinds of things are important. Uh, we even have fellowship. We study. We learn and grow. Those kinds of things that happen in care groups. So there are a lot of things that a church will do. But again, it's good to pause and ask the question, how do we do those things? Why do we do those things? Um, some goals. Okay, so what are some goals for, for a team to have? Okay, obviously you want a team to work together well. It's a little iffy if you have North Korean and South Koreans on the same team, how they're going to work together. You just have to know that's coming because of the climate of things. But even on a Pro Bowl team, you pull in players from all these other teams. How's that going to work? Is that really going to work? So some questions for what, what the goal might be for a team. And uh, in the last outline, uh, we had goals of attaining unity, attaining maturity, and attaining growth. So maybe there are some goals for a team together. We want to move together with certain goals. But maybe there's some individual goals that we need to think about for each player on the team. And again, maybe a good reference there while we're in Ephesians 4 is uh, 4, verses 14 to 16. And you look at the things that are, are there as a goal for how we conduct ourselves or what to avoid. And then in verse 16, obviously, that we would be working together with the proper working of each individual. On a team, each individual has to do their part. Um, a goalie or a keeper has a different job than someone on the front line. You have different parts, you're uniquely gifted, so let's make sure you're doing your part and we're, we're working together in those things. So again, we look at the things that the church is doing and you say, what kinds of things should we be doing? What are the main goals in those things? Even in our fellowship, is, is the fellowship for socializing? It goes way beyond that. Okay, So as a church, it goes way beyond that. How about the word discipling? And I just want to read a little paragraph out of a book that we're studying together, the elders and deacons are studying in this book. And uh, in terms of discipling, if the life of a church, or in the life of a church, spiritual growth and health should be the norm. 
it should be normal to see people growing and maturing spiritually. In fact, spiritual growth is not optional for the Christian. It indicates life. Things that are truly alive grow. Dead things don't. God has gifted a church with elders for the purposes of growth and has given us one another. It's within the context of these relationships with members and pastors alike, all covenanted together, that we would find the richest soil for discipling relationships and supernaturally grow. So again, Ken mentioned elders equip, leaders are there to help you, but again, the discipling is among everyone, one another. There are certain things that we do together, one another. Um, So one another and togetherness and how things work together as a team. I stumbled across a video this week. Well, it was kind of playing in my house because the girls were studying for music. And there's a certain requirement to get familiar with different kinds of even teamwork in music. And it was a quartet that was singing. And uh, we won't get into their name in particular or the song they're singing, but the illustration was this. What is the unifying factor? Or what, what holds them together? Because they obviously have different parts. And actually, they better be doing their specific parts or it won't work the way it's supposed to work. So I was thinking about what, what ties them together. And maybe some of you are familiar over the years. This is a musical kind of crowd here. Some of you have even personally been involved with barbershop music. The men like to sing in our group, singing parts, occasionally at the holidays. But I thought the unifying factor would have to be we have to know the key, even if we sing different parts, and we have to know the tempo or we're going to be so out of order that it's not going to sound right together. So as a real simple illustration of being united or teamwork, um, I was thinking back with that example to Ephesians. So in the book of Ephesians, what is the whole picture here of unity? Okay, And as Ken went through, and again, the first message called State of the Union was a little bit longer message. We harassed him about his number of minutes. But he went through Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. And I think what I'd like to do is say this. The the tempo that we sing at, the key that we're singing in, there's a certain structure for how unity works. Let's just think about the structure of who God is. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three people. There's a certain unity there. Okay? That's hard to explain how that works. But in terms of the church, us as individuals, us in a church, a church as a group, uh, worshiping the Lord and serving Him, there's a certain picture of what that looks like and how that holds together. So I just flipped through Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. After I thought of that illustration, I thought, well, what is it? So let me just look. I'm not going to go through this again reading it all, but let me look at the underlying words. By the will of God, He chose us before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. It was an intent of His will. It's for the praise of His glory. It was freely bestowed. We have redemption. It's the riches of His grace lavished on us. In the fullness of time, according to his plan, his timing, we've obtained an inheritance, again, to the praise of his glory. Holy Spirit, sealed, promised, inheritance, to the praise of his glory. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God. We were dead in our transgressions. God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, not of works. We are his workmanship. In one spirit. Paul's example of being a prisoner. Now I'm a prisoner of Christ, not of myself. In the spirit. For this reason on my knees. So that we would live how? And there's a prayer. 
So that's just an interesting picture of the unity. That's, it comes out of that. It's not anything we stir up. Okay? So, so as a church, we have a certain foundation to build on, and it's already there. So again, if you're going to sing in a quartet, there's a foundation. Better know your tempo, better know what key you're singing in, and you better each know your part to do. Okay, now... The goofy thing in this video is they're having fun because it's obviously a show. It's got to be a little entertaining, and they're not just singing the song. And at times, there are some things that hinder. And so I forget if I have this on your outline there, but uh, Galatians 5.7 has just been echoing in my head. And again, I don't know if it's because I've been studying for ABF. We've looked at the fruit of the Spirit. I read Galatians 5 several times going through that course. Um, You're running so well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Let's say a quartet singing along so well, what could hinder them? In my house, what hinders music is when they want to play the piano and I want to have the radio on. When there's two things going on at once, we have a house rule about that. Okay, So the disruption to the music could be something outside in another room and it's sneaking in there and it's confusing things. Uh, sometimes the disruption can be a child's trying her best to play on the piano with all those fingers and it's just hard to coordinate all that. That's a battle within so there are some distractions, some hindrances to the race. You know, you're running so well, what hindered you? Okay, are they external or are they internal? What, what are the issues that hinder you? Now this quartet, they're singing along and one guy gets out his phone and he's doing this, but he's still singing with them. He looks at them and they all give him a funny look and he keeps going and he's looking at his phone, but they're still singing. Okay, you wouldn't know this if you just heard the song moving along, but that was a distraction. Maybe an external distraction. Someone called in and tried to disrupt that. All right, later in the video, they're singing along, and the disruption is actually within their own hearts. Because one guy says, I want to sing high, and he pulls a stand up, and they switch to an octave, and they start singing the song up here. And the other guy looks at him like, what are you doing? He pushes the stand down, and they sing it in the lower octave, and they keep singing. Now, this seems humorous, but the... The issue of that humor is there's an internal disruption going on in two of the members of that group. Okay, So the, the disruptions to unity can be external factors or internal factors. And again, I want to move through this and not get too hung up at the beginning here. But um, externally speaking, I wrote down Colossians 2.8. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. Uh, you can think of other references as a church as God's church, as God's people, there are external distractions to what we do. Okay? Uh, Right there in Ephesians 4, in 14, winds of doctrine, trickery of men, craftiness, deceitful scheming. These are world's philosophies, world's ideas that creep in and we have to be vigilant to watch out for those distractions. Um, we had some other verses that came up in ABF today. It's funny how that works. That our distractions to what we really need to stay focused on is the core of what we believe, the core of Ephesians 1 through 3, what disrupts that. Other ideas will, will creep in and disrupt that. Uh, how about internally, though? Uh, we have to shepherd our own hearts. We have an opponent. We have an adversary. All right, back to sports illustrations. He runs man-on-man defense. Okay, He's looking to disrupt you. And if he can disrupt you, and you can disrupt someone else, okay, his defense is working one-on-one, and as a team, we have to watch out for that, okay? So again, external influences, and again, our adversary, our opponent, certainly is very clear who that is, okay? Does not want us to be doing the things that you see in verse 16, 
working together, each one doing their part. If he can disrupt one person from doing their part, what happens to a quartet when one person's talking on his phone? You're missing one quarter of what that's supposed to sound like. Okay? Um, doesn't want each, each part working properly. Doesn't want us to grow. Doesn't want us to build each other up as a team. Again, if the goals are to attain unity, to attain maturity, to attain growth, he's going to disrupt that any way he can. Uh, Ephesians 2.2, 2, just to stay in the same book, the prince and power of the air is mentioned there. Uh, 1 Peter 5.8, that might be the verse we looked at last hour. Be sober, be of sober spirit, be on alert, your adversary, adversary the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Not, not even to disrupt you, but to devour you. Okay, And that's why we work together as a team to protect individuals. But again, outside influences and inside influences can disrupt those goals for the team. So I thought, let's talk about the state of the union of our church. Let's bounce back to that idea that Ken talked about a couple weeks ago. And again, Monday night with the deacons at the meeting, um, well, the elders do this regularly. We like to share a win because there's a lot of heavier things you work through and deal with and just administrative things. And it's like, let's watch out for what God's doing. And it came up even um, from a couple of the deacons just to share some blessings. Call it that. Celebrate a victory, share, share a blessing. Share a win. So let's talk about our strengths as a church on those two things, internal and external distractions that disrupt us. Uh, one strength that came out is just the fact of the knowledge of Scripture in this church. And people who come and speak here will say, so many of you have Bibles out and notebooks ready to go. Okay? So your knowledge of Scripture, your sensitivity to those external philosophies, those external false doctrines, the false teaching, your sensitivity to those are a strength and a blessing. Uh, another strength. So when faced with some important question in your life, most of you, your first instinct is go to the scripture or ask someone else who's in the word or someone else who's praying and willing to pray for you on those. That's a strength. That's a blessing to know that that's to our advantage in terms of combating these distractions. Um, but again, what, what, is the, uh, what is the admonition then? What is the concern? Again, each one of us, um, internally are facing what you might call the sin force, what you might want to call the old man, what you might want to call that sin principle that's at work in each of us. And we each have this walk that we're all walking out. Okay, So we get weary. Each one of us can get weary. Okay, Your leaders get weary or you could be weary. You might be weary and we might not know. Uh, you might come and we put on our Sunday faces and everything's great while we're here, but you're just struggling all week long. Sometimes it comes out that you're weary in a care group in the middle of the week. That's a great time for that discipleship to build each other up. So those are things that we need to continue to do in our care groups, in the places where you have that kind of fellowship, where that discipling is happening. We need to continue to do that. Okay, so individually or, cor or corporately, we have to persevere. Persevere against the three things we said in ABF are flesh, world, devil. Those three things. We're persevering against those things. And again... Our adversary attacks us in different ways, and we just have to be ready for those disruptions. All right, so I'm going to read the, the main text here, Ephesians 4, 17 to 32. And I came across some, some old notes from Matthew Henry, and I'll read a couple of his thoughts. And again, it's the kind of English that you're not going to, I didn't read a lot of it. Um, but he says in reference to verses 17 to 24, there follows in these an exhortation to Christian purity and holiness of heart and life. There follows in these an exhortation 
to Christian purity and holiness of heart and life. And now exhortation is a strong word. Uh, each of you have an idea what you'd like to hear when you're listening to a message, whether it's person real life or online or recorded, you're, you're looking for something to grow with. So the exhortations come across in Scripture, and the definition of exhortation is something that's communicated emphatically, urging someone to do something. Okay, so here we are, 17, and I'll read over to 32. And I'm reading a New American Standard if you're a concern or if that changes the screen. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as the truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which is the likeness of God, and be the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, lay aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God and Christ also has forgiven you. All right, so exhortation. Big word, but basically means what's being addressed here? What's being communicated? What's, what's emphatic here, or what are we being urged to do? Now again, in general, there's general overall exhortation here to all people. Okay, to all people. And here's, I'll put it, I'll put it in my words. These are verses 17 to 24. I'll kind of say it in my plain English here. To all people, the world's way of thinking is futile. The world's understanding is darkened, it's void of truth, it's void of hope. Hardness of heart and sitting in your ignorance of God, it's not good. Being callous or insensitive to spiritual matters is dangerous. If you're insensitive to God's ways, you're in danger of getting caught up in sensual impurity and greediness and the list will go on. These things will only continue to corrupt you more and more. That's the general exhortation, okay, going out to everybody. So the question is, have you been renewed in the spirit of your mind? There are some specific questions in here that you have to ask yourself. Have I been renewed in the spirit of my mind? And is this just like some idea that I've just finally, I came to my senses and I know about Jesus? Or what does that mean to be renewed in the spirit of your mind? And again, in other places right here in Ephesians, it says you're dead. You're dead in your trespasses and sins. You can't just wake up or wise up one day. You can't. You're dead. 
Okay, so the Holy Spirit first calls us to life out of that futility. That's the general exhortation right there, stated plainly. So the question is, do you know about Jesus or do you know Jesus? Do you, do you have any kind of new life going on? Now, there are some general exhortations to the believers, to true believers. In general, maybe it kind of sounds like this. Maybe it looks like this as you go through those verses. Uh, concerning this conversion, this new life that you have, you're not your former whatever. Your former life has passed. This, this is gone. You, you have a new team, a new race. You're on a new race. You have a new game plan. You have new teammates. Okay? And we've heard these in recent messages through the last year, even in Ken's illustrations about team. So again, what are the general exhortations to us as believers as we face the details that we're going to look at in just a minute? In general, I would say, is my new life significantly different than my old life? Is, is the way I'm living now significantly distinguished from the old? Have I put off old strategies of dealing with things? Have I put on new ways of dealing with things? Is my life significantly different? Now, some of you will say, at the moment I was saved, God removed from me X, Y, Z. I had a new perspective on X, Y, Z. That's awesome, okay? And that's kind of what we're looking at there. But even on a day-to-day basis, I ask myself in general, is my strategy of dealing with this issue in my life different than I would have on my own, okay? Uh, So again, let's look at lay aside while we're here. Before we get to some specific admonitions, lay aside. Now again, depending on your version, I looked at so many versions this week. Lay aside. And, and what happens is, these words, lay aside, put aside, lay aside, cast off, remove, discard, we kind of start using these words interchangeably. And I can tell you that in Ephesians 4.22 and 4.25, it's the same word. It's the one I gave you in your outline. Okay, I won't try to pronounce it. The pronunciation's there if you want to try Okay, put aside, lay down, cast off, remove, discard, put away. And again, I think the first reference you might add to your notes outline there is probably Hebrews, Hebrews 12.1, right? Okay, Hebrews 12.1 says, Since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Okay, thinking of the Olympics. If you're skiing along with poles and skis and you're going to shoot a gun... At some point, you've got to lay something down. When you're laying on the ground, you're not holding your poles. Okay? That's what you're doing at that moment. Okay? And while you're skiing, it better be strapped on safe while your arms are doing this. Okay? You might say, take off your tie, roll up your sleeves, let's get down to business. There's just certain encumbrances that we all understand that illustration of race. We're all in a race. Okay? And some other references. Uh, Romans 13, 12. The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Armor. It's a battle, people. Uh, James 1.21, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, all that remains of that old, put it all aside. Receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls and empower you for your new life. Okay, so that's what lay aside means. And again, I think... Many times we've studied that and we kind of understand what that means, but I want to take this a little bit farther down the passage and say, yeah, that's great, I'm running a race, there's certain things I need to lay aside, sinful things, old man things, I need to leave those aside. Okay, but let's look at a couple specific things and I want to focus on verse 30 when we get there as far as the role of the Holy Spirit in this. All right, so those were some general 
exhortations. Okay, the world's methods don't work. You're a believer, you have a new life. How significantly different are you living life than you were? General exhortations. Let's be a little more specific. Uh, Verses 25 to 32, you can kind of be ready to skim through there with me. I won't hit every verse. There are good messages to listen to out there. If you research far enough online, you'll find somebody that goes through this verse by verse, verse by verse, even J. Vernon McGee, if you want to hear him explain every single line, and he'll get into every single word of, you know, angry, stealing, unwholesome. He'll go through every, every detail. Okay, I just want to hit a few of these to just say it is very specific. I don't think you disagree with me. It's very specific, the kind of things that will hinder you. It's very specific. Okay, so take heed of lying. Speak the truth, verse 25. Now look, I wouldn't categorize any of you as liars. Okay, well what happens, and this is, this is the practical way of looking at it. You see it in your kids. Okay, my wife sees it in me. Okay, uh, you never let me have dessert. Always, never. Um, I use words like that, and occasionally I get set back in my place, thankfully, with the helpful people in my family. That's why there's community in your family, to help each other with these things, right? So again, the exaggeration, is it true that I never give my kid dessert? Okay, so is that truth? So then we have to work with our children and say, well, let's speak the truth. You had a cupcake this afternoon. Not tonight, we're not having dessert after dinner. So let's, let's not hurt ourselves over the details of studying all of these specific things, but let's just be realistic and say, yeah, that could sneak in and be a distraction. Again, to my goal personally of unity with God, my goal is personally towards maturity and growth, but then collectively if we as individuals are not doing our part. Uh, Matthew Henry speaks to uh, verse 26, and he said it this way, Take heed to anger and ungoverned passions. Okay, the emotions. And I just want to say this uh, came out of my study Bible. Christians do not lose their emotions at conversion. But their emotions should be purified. Okay, let me say that again. Matthew Henry's quote was, take heed of anger and ungoverned passions. Okay, now again, maybe passions you think of maybe sinful things, but again, we, we are expressive, we are created to have emotion just like our Heavenly Father, but Christians do not lose those emotions at conversion, but their emotions should be purified. Um, you can write down Psalm 4.4 again. I don't feel like this is the, the best, closest reference for this, but you know, there are times we tremble, there are times we worry, there are times we lay on our bed in anxiety or fear or just general wonder about the future, uh, regret or looking back in our life. There are things that just ball it all up in our brain to a point where we just need to take heed that that doesn't become a hindrance. In Psalm 4, 4, tremble and do not sin. Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. Take an emotional rest, you know. Uh, Jesus went away in the wilderness once in a while. You know, take, take an emotional break and just pray and ask God, help me to see this the way I'm supposed to see this because I don't want this to become a hindrance in my own life to what I should be focused on for maturity and growth. And I don't want it to affect my brothers and sisters at large. Uh, regarding do not steal. Look, I know you guys aren't thieves, Okay. I trust that you're generally looking to do things all uprightly, even in your jobs. Don't take things that belong to your employer for your personal use, all that kind of thing. 
Okay, but in terms of being a thief, how about holding back? You know, it, in the context here, it's don't steal, but do good. And it's a very giving perspective, like give and use all your resources, all your ability, all your talents completely. Like, I'll serve this much, but my time here is mine. You know, sacrificial in our serving, all of those kinds of things. So again, in terms of stealing, what do I, what do I hold or what do I own? Or am I really wholehearted in giving and using that? Let's make these things practical. Again, I don't think you're all a bunch of thieves. Okay? Um, is our speech useful and edifying? And again, remember our team goals are towards attaining unity, attaining maturity, attaining growth. And this is a, a strong statement, again, from Matthew Henry, but I think I'm going to use it because even I have to pause and say, wow, I didn't really speak to that person so kindly or my attitude wasn't the best, so wow, I actually said that. And um, things get by the filter, again, depending how closely you're walking with the Lord. Uh, filthy and unclean words and discourse are poisonous and infectious, as putrid as rotten meat. Maybe that's... Uh, in Old English way, we wouldn't use those words necessarily, but we don't use infectious much in our language and discourse, but filthy and unclean words and discourse are poisonous and infectious as, as putrid as rotten meat. So again, these things sneak in and, you know, we have emotions. We haven't lost those. We have a perspective. We have an opinion, okay? And in our opinions, we want to make sure that those things are um, in check so as not to be one of those kinds of distractions, all right, so we have some fill-in-the-blanks here. And the main, the main goal, in my opinion, here of this passage, and others might disagree with me, but the, the main verse that I, I think this is pivotal on is number 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. And again, I haven't checked with other theologians to see if they think this is pivotal in the whole book, but if you take 1, 2, and 3, and these specific admonitions, we're going to focus on the Holy Spirit for a moment here. And then you can go through in the rest of the book and look from there how the Holy Spirit is, is mentioned in this teaching. Again, in terms of husband and wife and marriages, it says, you know, you think I'm here speaking about marriage, but what I'm really speaking about is the unity of us with, with God. Okay, so um, fill in the blanks. I know sometimes some of you like that. We have an overarching goal of Christ-likeness, a new life. We have a helper, the Holy Spirit. Don't ignore the best helper you could have. Okay, I suggest you read John 14 to 16 sometime this afternoon, this week. Go back and read it. Okay, it's great that we sing about Jesus. Okay, but he's not here to ask him a question. You can't go down the hall in the office and ask him a question. You can't see him on Wednesday at care group. Okay, and that sounds irreverent. But he knew he was going away. He wasn't going to walk here with us. He was going back to his father. And what did he do? He sent a helper. The owner of the team is not always with the team. The, the owner of the team has a coaching staff. Okay? And the coaching staff is leading and helping. And the team is doing what it needs to do. And they're working together. Okay? So that's a, maybe a really loose kind of analogy. But Jesus isn't here. And he sent a helper. So the question is, as a team... What's your perspective of the Holy Spirit? Okay, so it says here, do not grieve. So let's look at this word. Um, I gave you the Greek for it, to make sorrow, sorrowful, to make sorry, to cause grief, to be in heaviness. Okay, now maybe you've thought of 
grieve the Holy Spirit like, okay, I sinned, I said something bad, I irritated somebody, I was selfish, um, I took something that really belongs at work, you know, like, and you have to go back and fix that situation and you say, all right, so that's going to make the Holy Spirit angry with me again. Like, now I'm somehow I'm going to have God's wrath on me again. I would, I would just be cautious for a moment and remember that what happened to God's wrath for you in salvation? God's wrath for you in salvation was appeased through Christ. So let's not take this word grieve to mean like, okay, I stumble in these things. Like somehow I'm going to make God angry with me again. Okay, let's use it for the word that it says right there and just say, make sorrowful. It's going to make someone sad. Okay, does it make a parent sad if you've been working with an issue with a child every day all week? That's, that's sad. It's like, okay, I have to continue to help this person and I don't see God letting go of you, okay? But there is this sorrow, this, this sadness that's there. Okay, and again, it's, it's also the same Greek word used in 1 Thessalonians in terms of we've lost those that have gone before us to heaven. It's, it's sorrowful. It's not really how we want things to be, but it's, it's that sadness, okay? But we don't grieve as those who have no hope, okay? So it's grieving, but there is hope, okay? The hope is this. You can grieve the Holy Spirit, but the hope is He's God, and He's long-suffering, and He's patient. He loves you enough to hang in there with you. We give up on each other as humans, okay? We get frustrated and, and go our way at times, but there's hope in this grieving. So again, if you ever find yourself on any of this list, just saying, wow, that I grieve the Holy Spirit, just know there's hope, okay? Now, how about the spiritual disciplines? Uh, we've been studying this in ABF, the spiritual disciplines, you know, of prayer, and fasting, and serving, and giving, and there's one called confession, okay? Now, as individuals on a team, we each need to be exercising that spiritual discipline just the same, because if you grieve the Holy Spirit, your perspective in prayer ought to be, God, forgive me, forgive me for the grief or pain I've caused the Holy Spirit, okay? Be specific, be willing to say that's, that's what happened there, and forgive me for causing you sorrow, okay? Because, look, in terms of unity or growing, growing in maturity or just spiritual growth, the first thing you've got to have is unity with the helper that Jesus sent for you. If, if you've grieved that, you're, you're cutting off your power. You're cutting off the, the helper that wants to guide you. So again, exercising spiritual disciplines aside from prayer and fasting and those kinds of things. Um, let's look at this next word here. It says, there's a Greek word if you want to try to pronounce that. Like I said, go for it. All right. Uh, let these things be put away. Now, um, again, put off, put away, um, what, lay aside, whatever your versions say. It might be tempting here to say, oh, it's just like it was before. If I'm running a race, I throw off the things that hinder me and I just leave it behind. Okay, there's something a little bit different here. And I was discussing this with Ken and we decided we didn't want to push this point too far. But it is a different Greek word, okay? So this word is the word to take up, to take away, to take away with, to lift up, or to bear. Okay? Now that's a little bit different than maybe you've been taught and you've studied in Ephesians and you're all about this, throw it off. It's like a race. I need to get rid of these encumbrances. Get my tie off, throw it off, whatever. Get, 
Okay, but this is just a little bit different flavor. Even if your Bible uses the same word for it, it's a different Greek word. And for me studying, I found this very interesting. Let's look at these three references and let's, let's see where this word was used otherwise. John one twenty nine. Uh, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Takes away. Your sin is an encumbrance to what you could do for God. What you can be for God, your fellowship with God, it's an encumbrance. What did the Lamb of God do? Takes away. Now again, if your version of the Bible says put away or takes off or set aside or whatever it says... Um, this is another place this particular word is used. How about John 10.18? Uh, Jesus, in reference to his own life, no one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. Okay, so that's another place that word is used. And then Colossians 2.14. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Now, your sins were completely taken away. So this is a very complete term. Fully. Fully taken away. Okay? Uh, when you're running a race, you say, well, I keep on the t-shirt and things I need, but I might throw off my sweatshirt. Like, okay, so again, if the picture in your head of lay aside is more of the beginning of this part of chapter 4, let's look a little bit at this word and just say, you know, that sounds pretty complete to me. Okay, and something that, that God wants to do for me. Okay, uh, the next word there is pa, P A S. A very strong word. Let me give you some things to write down on your outline. This word is uh, coming up in verse 31. It says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. It's used twice in the same verse, same word, all. Every. Any, all, the whole, everyone, all things, everything, all types. That's pretty inclusive. That's pretty much all of the things listed. So again, you say, well, I'm just naturally a worrier and I'm always going to end up worrying about something. Or for me, personally, a bitterness issue from years past where I think I've forgiven the person, but man, it's awfully easy for that bitterness to come back. Did I like, was I free? I threw off 95% of that and like there's that 5% that just keeps coming back? Like is that all? Have I laid aside that encumbrance? Have I laid it all aside? Have I allowed it to be taken up, taken away, removed? Even the word bear. Like have I allowed that to be... Taken. Okay? Selfishness. Um, desire to speak my mind. Any of these things that in the practical way that you can connect with that list in Ephesians 4, if any of those things are still a hindrance or an encumbrance to you, all or completely, it can be put away. The issue is in context of who does that. Through the Holy Spirit, through His power. Okay? But if you're busy grieving the Helper... There's an issue there, okay? So again, in terms of putting these things away, it's, it's really exciting to me that the Spirit's power can do that. And there can be complete freedom from those things. And again, I like to hang on to 
you know, a certain way I react to things or a certain way I like to complain about things or a certain way I like to exaggerate. Um, if I start exercising, I'm never going to have dessert again, never get to have ice cream again. You know, like I like to exaggerate those things. It's not true. Okay, let, let me speak the truth. And let me really fully, through the Holy Spirit, have that help that I need. And again, not grieving the helper that God sent for me, but laying those things aside. So again, I looked at a couple specific words there. Uh, Hopefully that was helpful for you to give you a little different taste of put away or put off. Um, We're going to have a hymn to sing in a moment here. And again, we don't always sing that much about the Holy Spirit. So I was looking for an older hymn that some of you know. And uh, a hymn maybe about the Holy Spirit. Maybe it was because I was thinking again about that quartet. And just the unity that we're, we're striving for. And again, and even if it's not, you know, your concern is not unity as far as in a family or in a church family, maybe just the goals. The goals were to attain unity, to attain maturity, to attain growth. Your maturity and your growth depends on not quenching the Spirit. Your, your growth and your maturity depends on uh, having His power, okay? Your maturity and your growth depends on a complete freedom from the sin that holds you back okay and uh again maybe you're thinking of the word quench any of you thinking of the word quench as i'm talking about grieving the spirit quench is a much stronger word and i'll leave that for you to study as you think about that through the week but prolonged situations of grieving the spirit lead to quenching the spirit and i don't think anybody wants to risk going down a road where you really seriously suppress or stifle the holy spirit I don't think any of us really want to veer in that direction. So what we're just saying is, in good spiritual discipline, let's not grieve the Holy Spirit. Let's start with that. Okay? Um, This is a spiritual battle. Again, I don't know exactly what Ken will cover at the end of Ephesians this week, but if we look ahead at Ephesians 6, what do we have in Ephesians 6? What famous thing do we like to study in Ephesians 6? The armor of God. Look, people, it's a battle. You want to use other illustrations than singing in a quartet or playing on an Olympic team? It's a battle. If I'm in the battlefield, I want you doing the right things. I don't want you ignoring what the, what the captain said for us. Okay? I want us all to be doing those kinds of things where we're working together, we're standing firm. Now, if you really want to be okay with the word quench, it's a little unsettling to think about quenching the spirit. What good way is quench used here? Anyone? Okay, maybe your version says extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. It's a spiritual battle, okay? We need each other. We have to help each other with this. You can't do it without God. You can't do it without your help of the Holy Spirit. And you can't do it without one another on the team. Okay, the spiritual disciplines. We haven't talked here about put on. Okay, we've been talking about the put off side of things, the put on things, these spiritual disciplines. Disciplines. Are we disciplined in our individual lives so that corporately when we come together we can be a disciplined church family together? I think that's true. We shared some of the wins, some of the blessings. I think we pray together well. I think we have a great prayer list. You communicate well with each other how to pray for one another. That's awesome. Again, in our ABF class, in our care groups, what kinds of things can we stir each other up to do? In your journal, what kinds of things do you write? Do you write questions so you can ask someone for help? How do we stir each other up to those good things? struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. 
Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with, with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And he goes on to say, pray on my behalf that I would then be bold with the gospel. And again, it's, it's all of that by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, help us to take uh, your guidance by your word and your guidance by the Holy Spirit as you move in us to consider what hindrances are simple things we can lay aside. There are some neutral things in life that we should set aside, even just how we spend our time on the computer, the TV, whatever activities we're involved with that are simple throw-them-off things. But I'm thankful that as we dig deeper and we can see the words that were used by the scripture you gave us, there can be a total freedom, 100% throwing off of things that hinder us. And I trust that each one here, by their walk with you, Lord, would be in prayer, reading the word, and just considering uh, what you can do in their heart. You would help us, and you would give us your power by your spirit. Don't let us do the things that turn our helper aside. Don't let us do the things that irritate the coach. Uh, let, us, let us listen. Let us help each other in that. Let us work together as a team in that also. That as we gather together corporately, all of our individual discipline will show, uh, just as a team that would be drawn together from all over the United States for an Olympic team, their individual skill was ready. And as they came together, they could do some good things. So let us do the same each day all week. We would be doing the right things, walking with you, strong with you, that as we serve together in this community and as a church family, we could do that in a way that honors you. Thank you again for all the strength you give us uh, because of the perfect unity, the perfect fellowship you have as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And again, thank you for all these reminders today. In Jesus' name, amen.